Hi, Kate Lawson of Supply Ease Change here with Richard Brubaker in Shanghai, China. And great to have people listening. Thank you for joining our podcast on supply chain, environmental and social change. And this time with Rich there in Shanghai, who is the founder and managing director of Collective Responsibility, working on corporate responsibility and hands-on China, which runs a team uh, who coordinate volunteerism across Shanghai, Hong Kong, Beijing, and Chengdu. Rich, do you, I know you from back in my time working in <laughs> China uh, on corporate responsibility. We both work with lots of companies as well as nonprofits, charities, helping companies, working on issues. Do you want to just take a moment to share a little about your background? Yeah, so I guess the brief overview, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to be on. Uh, been in China for almost 20 years now. I think that my 19th year just passed. And uh, hands-on is where I started in terms of my social innovation, social entrepreneurship journey. I started really in finance and then started this charity on the side. And we now run about, uh, you know, in a normal year, which is I not COVID, we'll have about 150 to 200 events a month, uh, 15 to 20,000 volunteers a year participating. And then collective responsibility is really working with corporates doing, you know, what defining strategy and then, you know, executing it over a period of maybe, you know, three months or three years, depends upon the, the topic itself or the, the client. And the work spans everything from waste to labor to plastics to, you know, food quality. It's really a lot of fun and a lot of work in, in China and in Asia now. And then I guess finally, I'm the, uh, the chair of the American Chamber of Commerce Sustainability Committee, which is just being rebranded, reformed. So looking forward to that. And there's, I guess, you know, there's, there's just no lack of things to do in this region. So glad to be <laughs> here. Uh, it's been a long journey, Anywhere. but it's, I, I'm learning every day. It's phenomenal. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. You committee lead. That sounds fantastic. You're a good person for it. And thank you for joining the podcast. Really fantastic to have you on. And we were going to both talk about this wider corporate responsibility. I'll sort of help company people listening understand a bit more about the emerging human rights due diligence and modern slavery laws. But just a piece of that, which is about uh, children left behind children of, mm -hmm. of migrant workers. That's something both you and I have worked on in slightly different ways, particularly in China. It's relevant around the world. You know, in the UK, Absolutely. we've seen Eastern European workers who had to leave their children behind in Malaysia, Bangladeshis, um, in the Middle East, South Asians. So, but we're just going to find, and I've interviewed Chinese workers in, in Japan who would um, show me how they would Zoom call or WeChat call with their kids back home who they often couldn't see for three years. Sure. This is five-year-old kids, seven-year-old kids. Um, so, so it's, it's the issue for business is, is around um, the due diligence of ensuring labor standards and, and basic human rights in the supply chain and, and for these parent workers. Um, and there's a social impact piece that actually a lot of companies have been involved in of, of helping influence and support supplier factories and other suppliers to, to help these migrant parents. So we thought maybe you could help describe with me, describe the problem a bit. Um, and then we, we'll just discuss for people listening a bit about what businesses do, why they do it, and, and any recent, really recent updates that, that can be really sure. interesting and useful. So, um, 
So, you know, just to, to, to make the context um, relevant for China, given you're in Shanghai there, which, which is great. Um, you know, I, I used to talk to lots of Chinese um, parent migrant workers in factories and, and supply chains who um, would talk about their children back in their villages. And, you know, when I was doing this uh, five and 10 years ago, often they, they hadn't seen their children for a year. Sometimes it's, yeah. it's maybe a bit better now. Um, and they're often with the grandparents, but do you want to describe a little bit of what your team's seen in the past, you know, pre COVID as well, but the more recent situation as China's developed a bit more? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's a huge issue. And I think just as a starting point, we were asked by one of the large supply chains target, um, to look at this issue of migrant, particularly left behind children as part of their connected family program. And they wanted to get away from the traditional go to factories, do trainings about better parenting, and really have a, a, a direct impact on the lives of these individuals and these families. So we get into the work and we're doing our research. And I think everyone at the, at, you know, early in that we were looking at this, I mean, the statistics are staggering. It's something like 60 million families, up to 100 million families have been separated. And at one point, I think, you know, back when you and I were working together almost 18, 16 years ago, it was somewhere probably closer to 200 million families. And they would travel from Sichuan, Yunnan, Ningxia, I mean, the, the furthest reaches of China, and they would travel over to the east coast of China, work in factories, you know, obviously you were on the, on the end where you're looking at like the hours they put in or they paid over time, like that compliance factor, but yes. you know, they, they would go into the fact they would just, they had one goal, make as much money as possible so they can go home, buy a house, you know, elevate the children to above the ring above them so that the future can be, you know, brighter for their, for their children. Now, a lot of these things have changed, but some things have really stayed the same, which is there's still a lot of people in factories and there's still a lot of them that are separate. Now, over the last decade and a half, what we're seeing is more families move together to the city, so they actually they keep the family unit together, but a lot of them still maintain that distance. And when they do, what we find is they are basically almost complete strangers uh, in the house. There's all kinds of social issues where the children and the parents really don't know each other. They have a phone call once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks or once a month, and that phone call will often be quite short, focusing on, you know, how's school? Um, are you being a good kid? Are you eating? Like the real basic questions, three to five minutes long, and then it's over. Um, and that's in part because the grandparents hold the control over the phone. It's also because the parents themselves just, you know, they were gone for most of the child's life, particularly the fathers. The, the mothers may have stayed behind to kind of nurse the child, say, through the first six months, and then they may go back to the factory. But the you know, the, the defense mechanism is one, the kids don't really want to talk to their parents because they don't really know how to talk to their parents. And that goes for the parents as well. So we really looked at that dynamic and try to fix that because we know that if you can't fix that, or if you allow, allow that to fester, the, the kids are going to grow up, you know, in, in, a, in a less than ideal environment. Um, one, they'll be around their grandparents or maybe at boarding school, but you know, without a family connection, it's, it's a very tough place to, to grow up. And so chewing that bitterness as they call it in China, was something that we wanted to change. And so we looked at that, we developed a program that is tech-based where there's two functions. And the first one is we buy a watch for the child that they can make direct phone calls to the parents. 
Uh, the second one is that we have an app for the parents, and this will actually be launched across South Asia uh, coming very soon, where they get parenting tips and they learn how to be a parent, both in terms of like the confidence of being a parent, but also so like some tools, tips, and tricks of, hey, these are the presents you should give for Chinese New Year, or this is how to help your struggling kid. And what we found is just by doing those two things, we're able to really bridge a lot of divides between the family. And then all of a sudden, the kids and the parents feel much closer through that. Um, COVID has changed all of this. And I, I apologize. I know that for a podcast, give me a bit of a long answer here. But uh, COVID changed everything because the, the, the family units are more inclined now than ever to stay together. And we were already seeing this from an economic model where, you know, these distant regions were actually able to, because of economic development, provide pretty decent jobs back home. So it was, it's already getting quite tough on the East Coast for people to find labor. But now it's even more so because they really, if they have to shelter in place or whatever, they don't want to be separate. They, they really found the value of being around and with family at a much higher level than before. So what we're seeing is actually a lot of factories are finding it very difficult to hire young parents um, and particularly any parents who had problems in the past with their kids. Right. Thank you. That I think you really brought it at the end there to something incredibly business relevant in terms of supply chain resiliency, suppliers mm -hmm. actually having enough workers. Um, but you know, you, you described the, the, the psychological impact as well, which, you know, when I was looking at this 10 years ago or so, um, we were part of the CCR, CSR, so Save the Children's yeah. uh, China Child Rights CSR in China program, looking at three issues around children and young people related to supply chains, and one of them was these left-behind children. And you know, I think we had about nine major retailers involved, you know, the very public ones being IKEA, H&M, um, Disney funding this good work, um, mm -hmm. Nike, others. And one of the reasons businesses were involved is because you see a productivity impact as well. And what you described yeah. there about those tips for parents, you know, you talked uh, brilliantly described the impact somewhat on the children, which is, is not knowing their parents. Um, and as somebody who's my own father traveled a lot for work, so I can somewhat relate yeah. in a much lesser sense. Um, but um, but the, there's a, actually a big impact on parents as well. Yes. That um, you know, factories found that when they were able to um, work on these interventions, shall we say, with um, yeah. experts um, such as yourself, CCR, CSR, the other one, Inno Handshake Worker Helpline in South China, who we've sort of done some work around this kind of thing with, um, then. Uh, when the parents learned, as you said, these tips for how to better engage their children, um, then sometimes that can can help improve their satisfaction just overall and they're, they're decrease their levels of depression. You know, we had yes. this conversation in the Western business world about mental health. Yeah. Well, this is a major mental health issue, shall we say, for for workers in, in our global supply chains. And, and you touched on your program expanding to South Asia, which is fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Really good to know. Um, you know, I think with COVID, we've seen Malaysia where um, mostly Bangladeshi, but a lot of workers from Nepal, um, it can be India, um, these countries uh, making rubber gloves for, for hospitals and for, for the COVID demand. Um, yeah. You know, their parents as well, and they've been somewhat suffering under 
under the restrictions of COVID and then actually outbreaks of COVID in, in the crowded dormitories and the bonded labor situations therein. And then to, to layer that with this, this difficulty of communicating with your children and family back home is, is, you know, it's just one other area that companies can work on. I'm just going to very mm -hmm. quickly touch on the, the due diligence piece um, yeah. because causing you know, helping a, a parent worker in your supply chain factory to to be happier and um, and their children to be happier is not necessarily um, considered a human right that as a company you must um, help deliver and and new business human rights due diligence laws rolling out you know, France has one Germany are drafting theirs the EU is drafting theirs are very explicit about companies needing to look at global supply chain human rights and labor standards um, but what we can say is that as you look at that labor standards piece as a company in your global supply chain you know, a big issue that usually comes up is excessive working hours um, which means that often those factories are not paying the legal overtime rates properly, and these are those fundamental human rights issues. Part of what leads to these excessive working hours, half of you know, a good chunk of it comes down to how the management of production in the factory is managed. Right. Um, but there's also a piece around worker motivation and retention and and feeling, um, you know, for, uh, inspired and motivated to be productive at work. And, and this is why companies have got involved in this work um, because factories in China used to complain, and you touched on this, Richard, um, about how hard it is to retain a good workforce. You know, you're training them, you're training mm -hmm. them so that it'll be more productive and you can lower those excessive working hours and then they leave. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. and they're going home because they're miserable or as you said, um, yeah. you know, they're wanting jobs closer to their family. So great to have you describe that macro yeah, so um, shift inland as well. If I can, but, if I can yeah. just kind of highlight this really quickly. So you mentioned kind of like, you know, the, the turnover rates at factories. Um, yes. One of the, one of the interesting things that we did early on. So, you know, whenever you're trying to sell a new program, a CSR program, particularly into a factory, you know, there's, there's some hesitation. I mean, they, they wonder why you want to do it. They wonder what the brand is going to get out of it, you know, what their obligation is going to be. And, you know, like, oh, it's just so much time and we don't get much out of it, to be honest. So Definitely. <laughs> one of the big, one of the first factories that we worked with, we had, you know, let's just call it a, a hesitant or a, a hesitant client. Like they just, they didn't really want to do it, but they're doing it because, you know, Target was really like, you know, come on, can you help us out? Uh, and we had enough watches for one of the, I think, four factory buildings. It might've been three. Um, within a week, they called us back and said, can you bring watches for everyone? <laughs> because Fantastic. what we found was basically, and you know, it was kind of in the back of our head. We had talked about this, like, is this, can we A, B test this? So like, if you yes. give to the entire factory, how does things change? Like within the relationship with the management and productivity and happiness and things like that. And if you only give to half, can you kind of prove it? And we kind of proved it. And so actually the way that we took it from there was, you know, we built a business case where it was the management and the owners, the investors of the factories who were saying, look, when we did this, we saw an immediate change in the people. There was less fights between labor and management, higher productivity. Um, you know, no one actually was taking phone calls on the line, but you know, it was just very interesting to see like the factories appreciated the program because it helped them solve some of those basic social issues that they were, 
either training through or offering incentives or disincentives as it were. And this watch kind of changed because they became happier. They became reconnected with their family again. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and so these watches, you were saying they're given to the child somehow? Yes. Are they posted? I, mean, I guess yeah. courier in China is a pretty easy thing these days. Yeah. So. It's, it's very easy. So we kind of rock yeah. up with about, you know, it depends on the size of the factory, but we've, we've had factories that needed 500 or more. And we, you know, we'll buy these retail. Uh, we actually get a huge discount because we're a big, we've bought a lot of them and now. And so the, the buyer is sometimes funding this as part of their sort of corporate responsibility program? The, yeah, so the brand, they will fund this. Yeah. Um, and right. then we will go out and we'll, we'll, purchase, we'll purchase the watches, we'll deliver them to the factory, we'll do the training so the parents can link the watches to their phones. And then once they're linked to their phone, they get the SIM card and they're charged up we will then work with the factory to have them sent back home. And, you know, I think everyone's kind of worried like, oh, they won't send them home, they'll sell them, whatever. What, what ends up happening is either they send it home right away, and usually it's about 85, depending on time of year, it can be 98%, it can be very high. If it's too close to Chinese New Year though, it drops significantly because they figure, I might as well just give this as a gift once I get home. Okay, And yeah. You know, I want a little bit of an extra, you know, love from this. So they kind of take it that way. But either yeah. way, once we go back three months later, six months later, and we re, you know, we, we talk to the parents, we launch a research piece on WeChat, like a little link. Um, the numbers come back very quickly. Within six to eight weeks, they're reporting, you know, really high gains in their relationship status. So um, I was just looking at our, at our basic charts, um, pre, pre distribution on average, 75% of families will talk once a week about 15, uh, about 15% uh, will talk daily. And on average on a one to 10 scale, how close they feel to their child's about a three, about a four and a half, maybe a five, uh, measure that again, three months later. 7% are talking once a week. So it goes from 75% to Gosh, 70%. Fantastic. Every two to three days goes to 31%. That didn't even measure before. Once a day goes from 15% to 32%. And then That's multiple times amazing. a day goes to 30%. That's multiple times a day. Oh, lovely. And right. only less than that, less than monthly, is 1%. So four is nine. Wow. Fantastic. So hopefully our, if we have listeners interesting who are, sorry, people listening who are interested yeah. in SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which, which talks about, um, you know, childhood wellness and well-being and family well-being and things, and then those social impacts, you know, hopefully some of some investors or, or some of my followers, hopefully they're paying attention and because and mm. I think there's a real actual SDG social impact piece here. It's huge. To, yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's fantastic. Just just heartwarming for all of us, given the tough year we've all and, had. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I do want to dig in though, because yeah. you said these factories were calling you back and you touched yeah. on what sounded like some productivity or at least yeah. retention related. You said that um, disputes between workers and management were going down because parents, I, I assume that's sort of that's, because parents are slightly less stressed. Yeah, that's, that? that's what they tell us. Like they, have, okay. they have less disputes, more productivity. Um, they're happier on the line. In general. Like they said the next week, the, the feeling on the floor has changed. 
Now, I'm not, I don't want to like, actually, I think the one thing that I want to really take away from this project, and I did take away from this project is, you know, like, look, we, we, we developed a great project. I'm really proud of that. But what I'm most proud of is those watches cost 30 US dollars. Okay. Like, it does not take a ton of money. What it took was just figuring out like what is causing stress in these people's lives. Now, of course, yeah. having a stress relationship with your manager. Okay. Let's work with that. But if it's the family, if it's something else, knowing those people's needs and just spending a little bit of time to figure that out. I think that was the thing is we came way just like, wow. Okay. We just found a new issue that no one was talking about and it had a huge impact for 30 bucks a person. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did a lot of work in Japan uh, many years ago on causing mo most of the factories in this licensee supply chain who had migrant workers from China who, you know, it's a three year visa they come on and they're wow. mo most of the time they don't return within that entire three years. Oh, and awful. many of them had five year old, seven year old, eight year old kids, mostly yeah. almost all women. Every, almost every worker I met from China was a woman, a young woman, twenties, thirties. Sure. And they would have these photos of their kids in their little dormitories and things. Oh, they dying. were often in most of those small factories, they were sort of WeChat sort of Skype type calling back almost every day. And, and many of them, not all of them, but many of them. But the, we actually came across some factories where they wouldn't allow the workers access to the internet. And they'd start quoting us some ridiculous, like, Oh, our area um, right. industry association right. doesn't allow it. And we were saying, well, basically you're a part of that industry association. So you need to go and influence them to change that rule because right. a mile away another factory is providing it. So you can't tell me it's impossible. impossible right. 80% of our suppliers do it. Yep. And we caused many factories to just put in internet and allow their workers to get internet. Yeah. And we would quote back to them, you know, you say you comply with international human rights standards, which Japan complies with. And people have a right to communication and to a family life. These are fundamental human rights. So, and and you know, and workers themselves would 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 call this out as as an important part of of satisfaction. And and as you say, you know, we were not tracking in those factories sort of actual productivity impacts, but we did tend to see a correlation. Mm -hmm. Generally, between more productive factories there and and ones with these. Uh, how to say more worker centric policies, shall we say? Yeah. If I go back to China, though, um, we did do a lot of research with real productivity tracking and statistics around worker management communication and um, ways that, and actually, the ILO Better Work programs done a lot of research and studies on supervisor training in Vietnam and other countries where their supervisor training programs of how supervisors relate to workers, you know, ultimately have, have resulted in productivity improvements on the line because of that point you raise of worker satisfaction. So for those who are listening, who are, you know, hardcore supply chain procurement professionals, you know, um, we're talking about this lovely soft social impact side, but actually, this has real business impacts as well. And to your point on as suppliers on the East Coast where most supply chains have traditionally, um, you know, we, we've relied on for most exports to Western markets um, as, as they find it harder to 
attract and keep workers because yeah. workers can get these jobs inland in provinces like Sichuan, etc. Um, you know, you need to keep the workers you have. Uh, your retention needs to improve and productivity needs to improve. You can't just sort of churn workers like used to happen 15 years ago, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think it, you know, it needs to be part of the play for, for more companies. Um, and then with, you know, this work around child rights has been a business child rights um, has been something that UNICEF and Save the Children have raised as something that companies should be respecting as part of their overall business human rights due diligence as well. So a bit of a tenuous link to say that. You know, a brand necessarily uh, needs to respect the rights of that child back at home in the province. But, you know, in the, in the wider spirit of things, and certainly the supplier needs to um, help respect that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I'm curious. Um, so these watches, how does it work? Just because just I, I really wanted to understand a little bit. Sure. Does, the, does the child have kind of headphones or they just talk no. to this little phone? How does they, just, it work? they just talk to this little phone on their arm. Oh, uh, that's now, adorable. Okay. You know, as you were mentioning the, the factory end of this, uh, there's also the child's end of this, which is, you know, the phone that they're given is usually either from a school or from their grandparents. And, you know, right. both of those groups have reasons to not let the kids speak that long. Like, you know, the, kid, the kids at school, they get a long line. But for the grandparents, like, well, this is expensive for me. Or, you know, a, yes. lot, of, a lot of those families that we found, like, the, the grandparents are not really happy with this situation. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of abuse. And so, you know, what we found was kids don't really talk around their grandparents on the phone. But the yes. minute that you give them their own ability to run into their room and talk on their arm, it all changes. So yeah, I mean, you just, you strap this little SIM card into the, into the phone and you get on the wrist and they're good to go. As long as they don't take a shower with it, um, it'll last a year or two and the parents pay the bill um, at the factory because the, the SIM card is tied to their own phone number and they just keep going. So it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a pretty easy, um, you know, fix. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, are you aware of the work that, you know, Handshake in South China was doing with Left Behind Children? Um, do you have any overlap with their work? How should so, companies consider these two different sort of options, I guess? No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. I, we worked with, uh, you know, um, they were, they were part of it early on. Uh, right. CSR, C, or CCR, uh, we've been working quite closely with. Right. Um, okay. But, no, I mean, we tend not to overlap or intrude on other people's programs. We're, we're really, there's so much need. We're just focused on our own. Like, if you're an NGO already working in this space, if our little idea can help you, we'll actually sell this all to you at almost cost uh, because it. our partners okay. usually overlap. And so we're actually trying to find ways where we can scale and they can scale um, simultaneously without overlapping. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I just raised that because as, as you point out, companies are often already, so Inno Handshake runs a worker helpline for people who are listening, mm-hmm. uh, which, which many, particularly apparel, but also tech and other brands have used to promote to workers in, in particularly South China Guangdong factories and allow workers to both report issues, but also just call up and get clarification on the labor law. 
or also get counseling. And, and yeah. historically, Handshake used to say that around 50% of their calls were, it's not all just calls, it's a lot of WeChat and um, other sort of chatting, <laughs> texting chatting. Right. Um, but workers, migrant workers from far away, you could end up in a dormitory room with three other people who don't even speak your dialect. Yeah. And so sometimes it's loneliness um, calling up. And so again, this productivity angle, and so if companies have already been working with a partner like that to provide that service, which both helps the brand monitor those labor standards in terms of that business human rights due diligence, but also helps you know, workers get that counseling support, which any of us could use at any time if we're having a stressful time. But then, you know, in terms of the factory feeds into productivity. We had one supplier who, who loved, you know, Handshake because they really were trying to have better labor standards and they were sort of like, when's the next training for workers? Yeah, yeah. Um, we rolled that out with Levi's. Um, you know, it was, it was fantastic because oh. they had great human resources, but they went, look, we've got 5,000 workers. We can't be a counseling service for 5,000 people. You know, this right. is, they were realistic about it. Too much. Exactly. So, you know, when workers need to call, it's after hours usually as well. It's, it's 10 at night, that kind of thing. They're texting away going, you know, I, I'm, I, I need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they also were, were concerned about this left behind children. Um, you know, with yeah. COVID, everything's changed, just especially changed. for the smaller NGOs in China like that, who, who just have had to scale down sometimes. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of closures right now. There's a lot of programs that got disrupted and funding and it's, right. it's, it's pretty tough. I mean, and that's just not China. That's Asia wide right now. Everything's, you know, everything's shut down except for a few factories in Vietnam and, you know, China, it's, it's open, but you're not allowed to do anything on the factory sites because they don't want to have the risk of an imported case. Got it. Great clarification for our audience. Thank you. Yeah. And with, with companies sort of under pressure, increased pressure by U.S. and European law yeah. to do social audits and monitoring of their suppliers, and yet, as you say, with these, these increased restrictions at the same time, um, and you know, Australian companies have just been publishing their modern slavery act statements the past few months. So, you know, they're under the spotlight now for if they being yeah. out social auditing suppliers, um, or at least companies who have business in Australia. Basically, you don't even have to be an Australian company to be called by that law. Um, you know, this this I guess we're also touching on these other angles of monitoring and engaging your suppliers around these wider social standards. And, and labor conditions, which um, becomes a really useful tool, as you say, when you can't send auditors on site or, or run one program or another, if you've got multiple, so sort of, I used to call it tools in the toolbox for how you monitor mm-hmm. and engage suppliers on labor standards, sure. then there's, there's sort of more at your disposal as a company as you, you need to do that due diligence. Um, right. And, and then, you know, just, just my point earlier on the various initiatives, it, you know, at the same time, um, we used to find it where possible, um, you, know, you touched on if, if another organization wants help, because let's say my company was working with, say, Handshake or Save the Children, they think what you're doing, Rich, sounds amazing, um, you know, you're willing to work with those other parties without kind of yeah. stiffing on their toes, basically. Um, that can be really helpful for companies to streamline. And the, yeah. the, the other message I'd say here is that factories 
love a good invention is what intervention sorry is what we used to find that i speak chinese and chinese suppliers used to say you know oh this training was fantastic or mm-hmm. you know better ones would say we really love the, the worker helpline come train it again to our workers yeah um but at the same time no supplier no factory wants to have 10 different initiatives going and management and workers right. are confused and that's so, what tends to happen more more frequently yes. than not <laughs> Right. So, well, so two points there. Yeah. One is, you know, organizations like yourselves being willing to work together with other players on the ground if that's how a brand was engaging. And the second point being company buyers need to work together. And so, you know, most China export factories would have, you know, when I was looking, it was anywhere from 10 to 30 buyers. Is that, that probably what you've been seeing the past year or so? You know, honestly, I can't really say because we're so specific to a couple. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, And and so we were doing a lot of collaborations where we had, you know, five buyers from the same factory or even 10 at times would get together and streamline what we're up to so that we don't have 10 different projects being thrown at this poor supplier going, how do I do all of this at once? So one one thing Uh, I will add to that is I did go and present at a small event of about 45 large buyers uh, in Hong Kong. And this was a few, well, it was about a year and a bit ago. And they were all there to basically try and figure out how to standardize a lot of what they were doing so that they could start accepting what each group was doing. Because that's a lot of it. It's like, you know, Target would have something different from H&M and H&M was different from Inotex. And it was just, it was all so different. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've had that as an issue for for many years there are some really good industry initiatives around you know i I mentioned before ilo better work program in about 10 countries i think including you know vietnam's the biggest cambodia is the founding country so if you're working if you're buying garments from vietnam then most suppliers there these days hopefully are already in the better work program and your first step should be to contact better work or, or the factory and say, you know, which other brands are supporting your better work program? Let's sort of have some and go, go through better work and say, how do we align with what, the, what this factory is progressing on in terms of improving their labor standards? Because I've never seen a factory anywhere with perfect labor standards. <laughs> yeah, it's very everyone's, Yeah, everyone's got something to improve and especially in, in the Asia export market. Um, but and we have other initiatives. So in the UK, the Ethical Trading Initiative, in Europe, Amphori, um, SA8000, in the USA, the Fair Labor Association for Electronics, the RBA, there's the Pharmaceutical Supply Chain Initiative, there's TFS for the Chemicals Initiative, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's the so many. for the Toy, which yeah. is great though if, if you're a part of one of those sectors, if you're a tech player or you, you sell a lot of tech goods, you join that to monitor your tech supply chain. That said though, I think part of what you're touching on from this meeting is that some companies sort of join these initiatives and they don't actually get in contact with other buyers from their suppliers about right. those suppliers and with those suppliers. So right. with, you know, emailed permission from the supplier to share social compliance only data, which U.S. Supreme Court actually published um, a statement on at some point about 10 years ago saying that as long as it is focused on social compliance only, then 
you know, and you're careful not to breach antitrust, then you're allowed to do that as companies, which is why major multinationals, you mentioned Target, I mentioned Nike, Disney, et cetera, all do this every day. Um, but, you know, to really do that work, as you said, of sitting down in a room together, and, um, totally but different. also then by factory, you know, we used to just ask suppliers who, are, who else has been recently social auditing you. Yeah. And because Levi's did a study 10, 15 years ago that across their Asia supply chain, their suppliers were on average being social audited. This is not quality audits. This is only yeah. for labor standards 27 times a year. Yeah. So some of them were being audited more than that, which is how you got to go You'd go into a factory and there'd be six racks for the fire extinguisher. You're like, why is yes. that? Well, H&M wants it there and Zara wants it there and Levi's wants it there. You're like, but is it fundamental? Yeah. Can you make a difference? Yeah. They're like, nope, but they all have their own standards. So I, I do think that that's we, changing. I, that I, I've has seen a lot been of change changing. That way. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and so I think we're... We have a lot more alignment on standards. The Bangladesh yeah. um, Alliance and, and Accord on Fire and Building Safety you know, really aligned 220 major multinational buyers from Bangladesh around one set of fire and building safety standards and, and a little bit around safety training and things related to that. So we know yeah. it can be done. Yep. Um, but I, I think what then comes after, as you said, you know, the standards being aligned is then secondly comes, well, what about the initiatives being aligned, which is, yeah. you know, why spend 2000 or even only 500 euros on an audit of a factory, which just got audited last week pretty well by someone else. If yeah. that 500 could go towards these watches for these parents and children to actually right. improve satisfaction, retention, productivity, labor standards in that factory. So, um, yeah, exactly. That's my point there. And I, I think that the brands are starting to look at that. I think also it depends upon the Absolutely. brand. Like, you know, we've I've talked a lot to different groups, and you have things like you have groups like Lego and IKEA where they own. If they don't own the supplier, um, they own a significant, you know, majority position of the supply coming out of that factory, and that's a vastly different thing than say. The, the fact that you're mentioning had 10, 15 different buyers. Like I know like within the sportswear industry, Adidas, Nike, you know, the, they will be buying from the same groups and everyone else will be buying from the same groups. And that tends to create its own problems. And I think what we're seeing is more of the standardization, more movement towards buying from larger groups. And, th and this all helps at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, great to see companies like Lego back in my China time weren't even part of the conversation. And, yeah. and I've seen them hiring a lot of people to do this work in response yeah. to these European laws coming through um, and realization that, that this is important. Um, so, so we're seeing a lot more, more companies really doing this work because the Modern Slavery Act in the UK and Australia, California's first Modern Slavery Act and supply chains, um, and then these business human rights due diligence laws demanded of companies, and, and the US's laws against imports of forced labor, which if you read the guidance to business around, basically says companies should be risk assessing their suppliers and also social auditing to find out where there could be forced labor, essentially. Right. Right. So, you know, across the Western world, at least, um, legally companies are required to do this work. And you and I are talking about that piece of, you've done a disk-based risk assessment, you're, you're maybe 
using some some data tools, desk based to, to see where the higher risks are, you've probably identified these days, you know, you really should be seeing China as a higher risk. Um, you may have done labor, so what's called social audits of labor standards, and now you're going, well, what's the work over the next one or two, three years to really support and, and push and encourage and <laughs> drive that supplier to improve labor standards? Right. That's where this piece on actually hang on, these, these workers are migrant workers, many of them are parents, many of them are pretty depressed, um, you know, they're not as productive and, and it's not their fault, but right. any of us would be in that in that circumstance as a parent. What you know, these are interventions that can help. So, so yeah. I think it's fantastic what you're up to. I, I wasn't aware of um, the specific project, so thank you so much for describing it to our listeners. It's it's pretty sure. amazing. It's cutting edge for the the overall work I'm describing. But you know, I hope people can hear that it pulls right back into that piece of well, actually. Um, you know, that business human rights due diligence is about decent labor standards, which means you don't have excessive working hours. And that comes with really these interventions around, you know, sometimes it's, as I said, supervisor training, management training, uh, worker training, um, but also, you know, some root cause issues such as, um, you know, problems with, with people really yeah. having personal problems in their lives and helplines for workers and and parent interventions is, is just so can be so massively impactful i'm hoping that your program expands and we get some real data on the productivity in the mm -hmm. coming year or so that would be fantastic <laughs> that that would be fantastic as well we've got you know we had a big plan for this year uh that obviously didn't go anywhere because of covid um yes. we're hopeful that you know 2021 is a little bit easier on us uh, we have we actually have some some meetings coming up on how we're going to get China, and how we're going to get some other parts. So we have Vietnamese, Hindi, Tagalog, wow. um, Chinese, English, and we will have Bahasa as well, all in this app and all on the website. And you know it's it's taking a long time, but what's nice is if we get this right, we'll start attracting so many other experts in this field of families and sociology yes. and you know like. And they can start contributing and to the benefit of the community. And then we're, all we're doing is we're helping to translate and contextualize a lot of different conversations. Yeah. We may actually introduce the idea of like a helpline or some kind of mm -hmm. by country, by um, language, some, some resources on, you know, various labor um, regulations or NGOs or helplines. So we're looking at all that, but, Fantastic. You know, the idea is just, just bring more value and bring more support to these families. I think you're touching, your, you know, that sounds fantastic. I think it's going to overlap potentially with two other areas our listeners will hopefully be interested in. One is if you're an ESG investor, you know, social impact and delivering on the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, is something I understand that, you know, a lot of the investors earlier on, our, our own pension funds are asking investment managers to to deliver from, to get companies to deliver. Sure. So, you know, we, we talked about that for the children and the parents and and tracking of the measuring and monitoring those social impacts at some point as this expands, you know, is something that can feed back into saying, yes, we cause SDG impacts. But the other one even behind that is, um, when you talk about these other countries, you mentioned Bahasa Indonesian. I, I didn't mention the Indonesian workers in Malaysia as well are usually part of the mix mm -hmm. of, 
you know, most export factories in Malaysia uh, doing, I mentioned the PPE, the rubber gloves, world's biggest yeah. rubber gloves makers, um, as well as tech. Um, a lot of our components from our computers, phones, you name it, go through production in Malaysia. And the third key area, well, there's quite a bit on agriculture um, and furniture, <laughs> a few others. Yeah. You know, Malaysia is a major supplier. They're heavily reliant on foreign contract workers, as I've said, foreign migrant workers from not only Bangladesh, also Indonesia, etc. Generally, in what really, in a technical sense, is modern slavery, because these mm -hmm. workers back in their home countries pay agents a fee to get them this job. They travel abroad because the money's better, significantly better than yeah. a job they can get back in Bangladesh or Indonesia. They leave behind their kids, as we're talking about, um, and they go, you know, for a few years as well. And so, you know, a lot of the work when companies really dig in and, and are looking and doing proper social audits that really find out how much these workers, let's say Bangladeshis or Indonesians in a Malaysian factory have paid to get there, realizing that these agent fees are pretty high. Um, mm -hmm. There's work around causing suppliers to repay some of that uh, under the principle of um, no fees, that, that workers shouldn't be paying right, for right. fees, which is a global standard. But it also starts to get related to this piece around productivity and worker retention and, and general overall uh, worker satisfaction, which then, are, you know, that's, I think, where your piece of work on these, these, these people are parents as well and how mm -hmm. they can interact with their children um, has some real potential to be a part of the mix of how over a couple of years companies can influence their supplier to fully remediate a modern slavery, forced labor situation, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the the non-extreme modern slavery, it's the unfortunately highly prevalent. It's the one that, you know, almost anybody sourcing from Malaysia, Taiwan, Korea, where there are foreign contract workers, you know, it'd be pretty hard to say you don't have that in your supply chain. The challenge, yeah. though, is, is how do you solve it? And there isn't really one answer. It's a combination no. of influence, and I think everyone tries support. Yeah, everyone really tries to attack it with one or two hammers, and it's just it takes a long time. It takes commitment and a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of groups are really just not there for that. They're there to get the KPI that shows that they did a training of X amount of people. And, you know, like we don't right. even do the impact assessments to even see what the impact is because people have been moving around so much. So I, I'm hopeful that we're starting to see, you know, through various programs, uh, a change to that approach and that will bring more of, you know, more benefit to the supply chain and the laborers in it because, Absolutely. you know, it, it is a massive issue and it just moves around. Um, once More sustainable risk management. If it doesn't move yeah. around, we get more resilience because we're not, you know, seeing strikes and whatever happen as much um, right. because we've really actually improved the overall stability of, of the supply chain. Yeah, I think, exactly. you know, Malaysia, what was it, three or four months ago, we saw these COVID outbreaks. I mean, that's a massive productivity impact and shipping mm -hmm. impact and business impact. So, you know, we're talking that whole supply chain resilience piece here, that if the overall conditions are improved um, and across industries and, and um, as well, then then companies can can handle, you know, can worry less about outbreaks in different parts of their exactly. supply chain, essentially. Exactly.
Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know, absolutely heartwarming, but also super useful to to hear about the amazing work it sounds that you and your team have been doing. Congratulations. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, loved hearing it. Thank you so much. I hope people have found that really useful to hear. Um, you know, Brubaker, B-R-U-B-A-K-E-R, -E people can find you on LinkedIn, Rich, it's R-I-C, yeah. oh, no, Richard, sorry, is what you've got on LinkedIn. Richard or Rich, <laughs> either way, you, you'll find, if you Google that, you'll find me. Right, exactly, great, so easy for people to find you, um, thank you so much, I'm Kate Larson of Supply ES Change, that's for the environmental social, we'll discuss an environmental more on another call, maybe we'll uh, get back to Rich about that in a, in a few months as well, <laughs> sounds yeah, like you're doing some work there. Anytime. Um, and on um, this uh, podcast, thanks people for, for leaving a review, for sharing it, for promoting it, or giving us some feedback or questions. Um, love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much, Rich. Talk to Have you another time soon. Thank thanks. you. Bye. Bye.